Father, we want to thank you. We give you all praise and all glory, Lord. We thank you for taking us through all these sessions, all these years, all these months, Lord. 101 sessions tonight, Lord, for Kingdom 101. You receive all praise and all glory. And as always, Lord, we want to pray for our hearts, Lord, to be ready soil to receive the word of the kingdom. I pray for every person gathered here. I pray for everyone watching this live stream right now. And I pray for everyone listening in to also the audio recording from wherever you are. Please be with me and Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight's teaching is entitled, Who Me? Yes, You. And we are getting into Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Now, if you know your Bible, you've been a Christian long enough, I know you would have heard a message about this. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish. This miracle is a very familiar one, and I know you know it. Very clearly, the main character is none other than Jesus. And we will spend some time learning about Jesus but I don't want you to miss the disciples. That's why this teaching is entitled, Who Me? Yes, You. And who's the you I'm referring to? I'm looking at all of you here. All of you who are watching even the live stream, listening to this message. Some of you might be asking, disciples, who, me? Yeah, you. Disciples, kingdom subjects. Obviously, with this kind of a title, this teaching is directed at you. But with all things about the kingdom, we must look at the king first. And then after that, we will quickly draw lessons for ourselves as well as our kingdom assignments. Now let's read this story together because the passage is quite long, so I don't want you just to listen to me as I read this. If you can look at the words on the screen together, let's proclaim scriptures together. One, two, go. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking to heaven... He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Again, a very, very familiar story. You've heard it before, many different sermons preached. But let's start by looking at the character of Jesus. Jesus as the Messiah. See, there are four Gospels, and we are studying the book of Matthew. But this miracle is so important that it is recorded across all four Gospels. And you know the different Gospels will have different emphasis. 
So we will look at Matthew, but we will, along the way, pull some detail from the other three Gospels to piece together a better understanding of what this story is all about. But let's look at Jesus as Messiah because Matthew's objective is always to declare him as the Messiah, as the Christ. That is his objective. He was writing to the people of the kingdom, God's kingdom people, and yet they needed to be introduced or reintroduced to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. So more than just a miracle to assure you, to tell you that our physical needs will be provided for and all of you just enjoyed great snacks out there, praise God for that, there's a greater spiritual need that can only be fulfilled by faith in this Messiah. And he's God himself, and we know his name is Jesus. And Matthew is always drawing from Old Testament. So in this first section, I'm going to quickly show you, sample some words from this passage that we are reading to show you some Old Testament references that may not be so apparent to some of us. For example, Matthew says that Jesus goes to a deserted place, and this deserted place is really the wilderness It's an isolated place, it says. And the wilderness would immediately, for Matthew's readers, jolt a memory of God's provision for the people of Israel. Where? In the wilderness. So that's one Old Testament reference or picture that Matthew is very clear to point to. The next one is about a great multitude. And in Mark, it actually says that Jesus sees this multitude and describes them as sheep not having a shepherd. Now, that phrase is also very telling because in the book of Numbers, we see Moses describing Israel, saying they were like sheep without a shepherd. So once again, God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament, having that same parallel Matthew is going somewhere with this. The third one is that Matthew said that Jesus commanded them to sit down. But in the book of Mark, we see that they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And again, this is alluding to a time in the wilderness where we see in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, where God told then Moses to organize Israel by the hundreds and by the fifties. Same phrasing, exactly. So when Matthew's readers or Mark's readers would read these things, they would immediately think of that picture in the Old Testament. Now, of course, you know the loaves, the bread, loaves of bread. It talks about bread from heaven. Now, how did God feed the people in the wilderness? There was this funny thing called manna, right? Suddenly it appears, it somehow drops from heaven. So they refer to this as bread from heaven. Now, do you know that in the book, in the Gospel of John, immediately after the account of this miracle, Jesus goes on with a discourse and he says, I am the bread of life. Because the Jews were asking for a sign. They say, you know, all these signs, the miracles, very good. But every time they saw a sign, they asked for a bigger sign. And Jesus was like looking at them and saying, you mean this sign not enough? Hello, you're looking at the wrong thing. I am the sign. Don't look at the bread multiplying. I am that bread. Moses fed your fathers in the wilderness with this bread from heaven. But after they ate it, they still hungered and they died. But if you would take this bread of life, then you will have 
eternal life, you see? And so this is again an allusion to an Old Testament kind of a parallel. And this also pointed forward to the Lord's Supper later on, right? Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am that bread that I give you this bread, you eat my flesh. Now, of course, they couldn't understand what he was saying. In fact, it's recorded later on, some of the disciples stopped believing because of that. They got so offended to say, what must eat your flesh? Uh, Allah, what are you talking about? But later on, Matthew picks this up in chapter 26, where Jesus then says, this is my body given unto you. If you look at Matthew chapter 14, I made another observation here as I was looking through certain commentaries. This feeding of the multitudes with bread, this one account launches a series of what I call bread talk. <laughs> a series of bread talk, really, from Matthew chapter 14 to Matthew chapter 16. First, you have the feeding of the 5,000. Next, there's an account of the washing of hands before the eating of bread, right? Which one defiles, going in or coming out? After that comes the feeding of the 4,000, bread again. And then almost immediately after that, the disciples didn't have bread and Jesus was talking to them and they were like, oh, maybe because we didn't bring bread. He says, hello, you still don't get it. I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So can you see this whole section is like bread talk. And we don't even talk about the fish. I'm like, huh? But five loaves, two fish. Then I scratch my head. and say, oh, maybe not so critical in these accounts. It's like in the Old Testament, the manna was actually more important than the quail. The quail was bonus. If you've got the manna, the quail comes later on. But don't keep looking for the quail and you miss the manna. And so it's almost like the same here. Five loaves, but two fish incidental. Uh, the bread here is a lot more important. After that, if you look at this miracle, it's very similar to the feeding miracles by the prophets. Now, the word prophets should ring a bell because in the last teaching and the previous teaching, we were talking about the prophetic they were looking at Jesus and they hailed him as a great prophet with wisdom as well as with great works. So there's also a recurring theme of Jesus as a great prophet through Matthew and also in the other places. Then we come to the end, you know, they pick up 12 baskets. Now 12 is a very, very significant number in the Bible. We know that there were 12 apostles. And so they were sent out to do this work, and then later they gathered all the leftovers, and it's 12 baskets. And it's this miracle's way of signaling that Jesus is now gathering a new Israel. People who will believe in this Messiah, there will be a new Israel, and it does not only include the Israelites or the Jews only, and that's where the feeding of the 4,000 comes in, where the commentators all agree that the 5,000, very likely, mostly Jews. But for the 4,000, it was in a different place and it was targeted more to the Gentiles. Both the Jew and the Gentile will come in. It will make a new Israel and Jesus was starting that. And I love the oversupply. You like an oversupply of food? I'm talking to Singaporeans down here, right? Oversupply of food. And this actually refers to the messianic abundance. See, the Jewish tradition had it that they believed that the Messiah would come and he would repeat the Old Testament miracles but on a much, much larger scale. Which means when the Messiah comes, abundance is going to come. When the kingdom comes in the full, there's going to be great, great abundance. 
and trust the scholars to notice the word that was used for sit down. It's actually the same word translated in Greek. It will be translated to recline. Now, how do the Jews eat at a meal? They recline. What do they do at a banquet? They lean against one arm and they will sit there and they will feed and they will enjoy themselves in a reclined fashion as if in a banquet. So this, when they sat down, same words, and it's like a messianic banquet that is there. And this time, God is himself the host that is dishing out a wonderful, wonderful banquet. Now, have you been to an oriental, I say oriental because Chinese business people are very good in throwing banquets and dinners, right? And oriental custom, I believe, also does the same thing. If you are to be a good host, you want the plates never to be empty, right? The people who have to eat until they cannot eat, it comes out of their ears and their nose. And they eat and cannot eat already and the host still asks, enough or not? If you say enough, well, still not enough, they will give you some more. Because you cannot have an empty plate. The guests have to be fully filled and fully satisfied. And this is a picture of messianic abundance. It's not a just enough thing. It's always a more than enough. So can you see Matthew's objective very clearly? He's trying to show his, his readers and his congregation Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, look at this story. Look at the indicators. You cannot miss it. This is the Messiah. Now, this is part one of the teaching. And this is the easy part. Because if I tell you Jesus is the Messiah, I have no doubt all of you will say, I know already. I say, amen. Of course, he's the Messiah. Otherwise, why do you think we're seated down here? All right, so this is the easy part. But if we understand Jesus is the Messiah, we got to ask ourselves, then, who are we in relation to Jesus, the Messiah? If he's the master, then we are the disciples. Now, if he's the Messiah and he's the king, then we are the kingdom subjects. Now, I know you're going to say amen to that also, but I've also learned that when I get into different churches and I say we are disciples, half of them agree and the other half is wondering, who, me? Believer can, disciple cannot. I scared disciple like very, very heavy responsibility like that. But we're all disciples. That one can say amen. Nah. Very soft amen, but can. Nah. Okay? Because some of you are asking, you mean me? Ah? Me? Yeah, yes, you. Who me? Yeah, yes, you. See, knowing Jesus as Messiah is good, but how you align with him is critical. That's what Kingdom 101 is all about. It's to know our king that we can learn about the kingdom, align with this kingdom, then we understand how to receive kingdom assignments and how to move on kingdom assignments with the right perspective and with the right kingdom principles. So the second part is more difficult for us, even more difficult for me to teach it, more difficult even for me to challenge myself. Am I living out kingdom paradigms and perspectives in a right manner? So I hope you are first convinced that you are disciples and kingdom subjects. So I'm going to share with you some pointers that we will now see from the disciples' perspective. We'll learn from Jesus, we'll study what he did and how he challenged his disciples, but I want you to put yourself into the picture. And these would be important things for us to learn. Seven lessons if you want, okay? Seven. First one. First one, I say pick your battles. 
If you want to move on kingdom assignments, you must learn how to pick your battles. Now, what do I mean by this? Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, our very first verse. When Jesus heard it, heard what? What did Jesus hear? What's that it that's down there? Now, the story that comes before this was a picture of John the Baptist having his head lopped off. Now, did Jesus hear about that or did he hear about something else? It possibly might be John's death, but I don't think so. Because John's death in that account was a flashback. You've got to go a bit further up, back up a little bit more, in verses 1 and 2, where Herod heard about Jesus, and then Herod says, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. And Herod was really curious about Jesus, and he was wondering, who is this guy? If he's like John the Baptist, maybe I've got to be careful with this Jesus person, and perhaps I need to do something to him similar to what I did to John. So most likely, what Jesus heard was, Herod is hearing about you, Herod has got reports out about you, and perhaps Herod has his eyes also on you. So immediately, Jesus hears that, he departs. He departs. Because he knew what happened to his cousin. And so he runs off into the wilderness. Now don't, don't think that he's afraid of a confrontation. Okay, our Jesus is not afraid of confrontations. I mean, you read the entire Gospels. He's going to go head on with the Pharisees very soon, right? That will lead to his crucifixion. And so it's not that he's afraid of confrontation. But Jesus knew his assignment. And when he knew his assignment, he did not allow anything to distract him. This is the point I want you to see. You see, his assignment was to declare the kingdom of God, to minister to the people, not to fight with Herod. He was not there to pick a fight with Herod. If Herod wants to fight with him, Jesus will say, thank you very much, okay? I let you have your way. You can say what you want. You can post bad things about me on Facebook. He will still turn away, right? Because he's so clear. I'm here to declare the kingdom of God. If I don't have a fight with you, please, you know, give me a break. So friends, pick your battles wisely. Whilst we are to be prepared for any eventuality, listen to this, you are not meant to fight at every front. This is a very, very important lesson. Sadly, there are too many who love to pick a fight with everyone. They love to fight with everyone, and especially those in the body of Christ. I don't know what's with them. They think that their assignment is to fight and to show that they are very strong because they are victorious in Jesus Christ. It's like, hello... I don't think that's your assignment. And because of that, so many people are distracted. Pick your battles wisely. If you tell me that's your assignment, go for it, man. Lose your head if you have to, okay? Okay, I, I will cheer you on for that. But when I look at some attitudes and some perspectives, I'm wondering, why are we distracting ourselves with so many things and missing the one or two things that God has already prepared for us? Now, please don't get me wrong, okay? The world is in a terrible shape. Have you noticed that? There are many causes, there are many assignments by many, many well-meaning Christians. Now, if they're doing their part, they should be encouraging you, perhaps to align with them to fight at certain fronts. But you see, you also need to pray, should you be aligning with them to fight on those fronts, or has God prepared another assignment for you? See, that's also another issue. Because it's easier to just look at what people have done and just join in, okay? And for a start, you may do that to learn. 
But it's easier to do that than to be quiet and seek God for your assignment. And many people are just lazy, lazy to pray, don't want to fast, don't want to read the Bible. Oh, easier to look up on a website and to see what's happening and enjoy. Right? So the things that we organize is to help, yes. But you see, once you, once you learn how to hear from God, if you know who the king is, then you must learn how to align with him so that you know your assignments and you pick your battles wisely. Okay? Don't get distracted by anything or anyone. So friends, go cheer your brothers and sisters on, but don't miss your own assignment. And Jesus was so clear. You see this? He was so clear. You want to fight with me? Thank you, Hall. You can shout all you want. I'm going to the other side. I'm not going to waste time with this. And so let's learn from the Lord. Pick your battles wisely. The second point is very important for me. I don't know whether it is it for you. Point number two, remember to rest. Come on, shout amen. amen. Huh? Remember to rest. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, Matthew's focus was Jesus. And so he just looked at the Messiah and he gives us an impression that Jesus went there by himself. But Jesus was withdrawing. He went by boat, which means small boat, not Batam Ferry, small boat. He went to a place that nobody would want to go there. So he goes by himself. It emphasizes a separation from the crowds, but not from his disciples. How do I know this? You must read Luke and Mark. Uh, and the other Gospels will provide the details that the apostles had just returned from their mission and from their ministry. And Jesus took them and went aside privately to a deserted place. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, even more details. Jesus looked at them and said, hey, you better come aside, rest a while. And then the caption or the commentary then says that there were many coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So Jesus was looking after his disciples. They were on mission. They were on assignment. And Jesus says, remember to rest. And here's the truth. Moving on kingdom assignments can be tiring. And many times I have, I have felt it, big time. Even today, just before coming here, I'm tired. <laughs> there are things to do, right? There are things to look out for and things to organize and things to put in place. It's tiring. But it's important for us to know it is okay to rest. Because as you move on assignments, you need to rest and you need to rest so that you can then continue to be on assignment. So I say to all of you, listening in, watching in, you have permission to chill. You have permission to space out. Don't feel guilty about that. If you need to do it, take time and do that. You see, many times we think we've got to just go and go and go. And Akipa's Awakening is about assignments. I don't want you to get the wrong picture. How long can you chong? You, cannot, you just cannot keep going. We were not built for that. And if we don't remember to rest, then there are just so many today that they are burnt out. Ministers. Pastors, church staff, I won't go into the reasons why they are burnt out. The point is this, we're just doing too much and we forget and we don't know how to rest. Even more, it's not that they're just tired, they are depressed. I'm serious. They are counseling people 
until they themselves need counsel. But they dare not seek counsel because I'm a man of God. If I look for counsel, I look terrible. What if people hear that I talk to someone uh, that I'm, I'm about to break down now? Huh? Pastor, break down? How can? They are not only just depressed, some have been led to suicide. It's resulted in suicide. You just don't hear about these things. So there's nothing wrong if you need to look after your own needs. We learn it from Jesus. And we learn it from the disciples that they have been working hard. They need to find time to rest. And so physical rest is important. And in Archippus Awakening, we have this phrase that we remind each other often, when you need to work, even so, work from a posture of rest. That even as I'm laboring now physically, if you have preached, if you have taught before, man, after one hour, you're tired. Emotionally, you're drained. Spiritually, you're drained. And you give that out. But you see, in the Spirit, I'm resting in the Lord that the outcome is not determined by me. I just do what I need to do, I believe, and I rest in what God is going to do in each and one of your hearts. So rest knowing that we don't make things happen. Rest knowing that it is God who makes everything happen. And you will hear this over and over again through this one account. So point number two, remember to rest. Important, huh? Okay? Now point number three is this. In your kingdom assignments, reveal the love and the compassion of the king. Reveal the love and the compassion of the king. In Matthew chapter 14, in this passage, we read that when the multitudes heard it, they followed Jesus on foot. Jesus wants to rest. The crowd refuses to let him rest. And when Jesus went out, he saw this great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them. And he begins to heal the sick. And Mark, it says that he begins to teach them all over again. And here comes this tension that you must learn how to manage. We must learn how to rest. And there will come points where even when we want to rest, a need pops up before you. How many of you have experienced this before? And it's very difficult to, to, to either push this person away or if you need to rest, you rest. But later on, you see that you need to come back to this need that is there. So I will word it this way to say that it's okay to focus on our own needs, but let us not focus so much on our own needs that we miss the needs of others. Just think about it from the disciples' point of view. They come in, you're tired, they're, they're worn out. Jesus says, come on, let's go. You know, let's go rest. Let's go have a coffee and uh, have some waffles. And they're like, yeah, this is it, man. Yes, Lord. You know, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. <laughs> and the moment they get there, Jesus sees the crowd and he starts to teach and he starts to heal. Imagine you're the disciple. I don't know how you will feel. My immediate reaction is like, hey, what happened to my off in lieu? What happened to my break? You, know, you mean got no waffle? Huh? Take a rain check. Huh? Hello. And sometimes we can feel that way, right? But if you see the desperation of the crowd, they followed Jesus on foot. You know, They kept him in that eye line and they just went over there. They were described as sheep without shepherd. And I don't know if you've encountered someone like that before. I've, it's, it's just too many of them. They're lost. They're desperate. They are frustrated. They need to know Jesus. And you are the only one that can point them to Jesus. 
right? They need to hear a word of encouragement. They need to hear a word of hope. They need to experience the love of Christ all over again. And I'm not only talking about people who are pre-believers. Man, I, I come into contact a lot more with believers than the non-believers. Friends, the scene is still the same. You're ministering to Christians who don't know Jesus. You're ministering to Christians who don't understand the things of the kingdom. They know how to do church really well, but when you talk kingdom to them, their eyes are like glazed. There are so many who need to be awakened, and after they are awake, they fall back asleep. There are so many who need to be aligned, and they're just not enough being assigned. And that's why the burden is so heavy on those of us who have assignments of this nature. That's why the work of Archippus' awakening is like that, and it's increased. Praise God for that. But as it has increased, it's not just standing in a seminar and tell you, hello, you need to awake and you need to align and you need to be assigned. If I can just do that only, uh, easy. Uh. Okay? After that, don't talk to me. Go and see my secretary. Right? Don't talk to me. Uh. Look at all these people down there and go and talk to them. If I can just do that, that's simple. That's the easiest part. You realize this? Maybe that's why we love to have so many seminars. One guy talked to five, ten thousand and then enough. No, it's, it doesn't end there. When the work has increased and the message has gone out, the people start to come back. If they've been awakened, they'll ask you, what's next? They'll ask you, how do I get over this? How do I get aligned? What's wrong with me? Can you show me? Right? And then that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the real work begins. Who wants to join me? No hands have gone up. <laughs> Are you hearing this? So the work is there. But what moves us? You see, it's not the work that has to move us. What moved Jesus? Compassion. And I submit to you, too many of us have lost that compassion. We don't feel that love. And that's why one of the traits of Archippus awakening is that if an Archippus is awakened, aligned, and to be assigned, he or she is aware but not apathetic. Right? You, you cannot look at the people and say, oh, where is it? Putting, 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 bye. <laughs> huh? Are you you're like that? Uh, like that uh, Christian so many years, uh, like that, uh, bye. Cannot what? You look at the marriage as breaking down, you cannot say, oh, I'm sorry, huh? bye. You can be aware, but your heart has got to move. You want to be like the king? The king was moved with what? Compassion. See, our kingdom assignments... This is what it's all about. It's a revelation of who the king is. And it's not just, I tell you who Jesus is. No, it's a demonstration of what the king stands for. The king will be moved with compassion and with love. Our kingdom assignments are not merely tasks to be completed. Our kingdom assignments are means by which people experience the love and the compassion of the king. You get it wrong... You're just in a doo-doo business, man. And we've got enough of that in the church, la friends. We need people with the heart of the king. And so point number three is so critical for me. Jesus, tired as he was, and yet he was moved. But he knew how to have soul care, self-care. But when he had to move, he would move. But he wasn't coerced. He wasn't moving because of KPI. How come, never, how come today so few people come sell group? He was not moved by that. He was moved with compassion. I hope you catch this. The fourth point is this. If you want to move on kingdom assignment, you've got to check your faith alignment. 
You got to check your faith alignment, right? The alignment of your faith, the consistency of this faith that you proclaim. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 onwards. By the time it came to evening, which means they had already been ministering, the disciples came to Jesus saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages to buy themselves food. Now the disciples were being very, very practical. It was time for dinner. Hello. I think the Singaporeans would have been earlier to tell Jesus, excuse me, oh, we've got to cater, you know, otherwise they are going to stop the orders now. There are villages nearby. Send them there. Lah. Go, only three MRT stops away. They can get there. Better release them before the train stops running. See, very, very practical. However, there was a little problem if you understand the context. The nearby towns, deserted place, right? Nearby towns were not big enough to support such a crowd. And also by the evening, remember they go by daily bread. So if it's a small place, by the evening, the daily bread would have been consumed by then. You can imagine sending 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 women and children going down there. No can do. Not only that, it is also the time was spring. Now we know this from a very, very small little detail. They sat on the grass. Now if it's not spring, no grass. So we know it was springtime, which means by the time it came to spring, the previous year's grain store would have been running low. Okay, just think of NTUC last week, no toilet paper. I'm still seething about that one. I was personally affected. So the disciples were practical, right? But... Jesus knew exactly the situation. Now, the disciples probably knew that also. But because they knew that, they said, look, I want to get this off my hands. Can we, just, can we just send them there? Okay, send them there. And Jesus remarks, I, I suppose innocently, oh no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And you know Jesus, right? Every time he says something, he already knows what he's going to do. But here at this point, this one line, you give them something to eat. If you look at the Greek language, the word you is emphatic. And emphatic just means that the writer wants you to know the emphasis of this entire line. It's not you give them something to eat or you give them something to eat. No, it's you give them something to eat. And it's a big you. You. Who me? You. And the Greek word is humeus. Everyone say, humeus. That's this one word that has an emphasis. You give them something to it. Now I looked at this and I said, well, God has a sense of humor, you know. When I came up with this title, who me, yes you, I didn't study this word yet. And yet when you break it out, it is humeus you. <laughs> oh, come on. Encourage me. La. You, you, can, you can hashtag groan after that. But isn't it cute, right? Who me is you? So if you say it quickly, who me is you? Yeah, who me? Yes, you. And imagine the disciples, right? You give them something to it. Huh, me? Yes, you. Do I see anyone else? No, you. You're my disciples, right? And the disciples, remember, they just came back from 
from a very successful mission. They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick, right? I guess they, I suspect they were raising the dead also. And they can do all these things. They didn't bring food on their trips. They didn't bring money. They were provided for. Jesus told them, right? Don't bring any of these things. And they came back and they were telling Jesus all these things, tired as they were. They had done all these things. If you do all these things, you are called people of great faith. Amen. So they come back, great faith, and Jesus says, so you think of something now? And they go, huh? Who, me? Yes. Cannot. What happened to their faith? Huh? Now, don't laugh. Huh? We can be the same, you know. We can have very strong faith in certain departments. Huh? But when challenged in another area, we are like scared, like don't know what. We can be declaring everything in church. Amen. Hallelujah. Once go back home, go to the office, huh? like mouse. Kingdom only inside the church, you know. Outside there, no, no kingdom, you know. Check your faith alignment. Do we serve the same God or not? Don't keep your faith locked inside a church premise. When you get home, is God still with you? Is Jesus still able? Can He still provide? See, the good news of the kingdom is not limited to the confines of the church. And sometimes we can talk so spiritual and yet become so practical when we don't want to talk about that spiritual thing. Our tendency is to compartmentalize. And this is our biggest, biggest issue. Many of us will quote the Word of God, but we don't want to live the Word of God. Now, in our language, we call it misalignment. Misalignment. You say you believe this, but you live like this. Misalignment. You've got to check this faith alignment, and God sometimes has to show us that we are so, we are so misguided in that. He has to bring that perspective together. So we say, yeah, God provides, but. God heals, but. God is able, but. Jesus is sufficient, but this area, no. Years ago, we were challenged, Serena and myself, we were asked this question often. Why you all have seven children now? We are asked this question many times until I want to print my next book already. I say, if you buy the book, or discount some more. I say, it's not why we have seven children. It's not because we want seven children. But years ago, the Lord challenged us in this faith alignment. He says, do you believe me? I say, yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Can I provide? Yes. Will you trust me in the family? Yes. Will you let me plan a family size? Uh, do you understand that? Okay. And, and I mean, that's a personal conviction. I, I can't place this on anyone else. Serene had that same conviction. Right? So if I have faith that he will provide for one, for two, why not three, why not four, why not five, why not six, you see? And so we say, okay, Lord, we will trust you. Now, do you plan for seven? Like, why do you ask so many questions? <laughs> why do you answer the first one? Do you trust God first, Right? Now, after that, we'll sit down and have coffee and tell you how come it was seven. <laughs> See, it's a faith alignment issue. Last week, the same thing happened to me. Now, some of you have already heard me and seen me go viral with prayer on Facebook Live. So I was praying about this COVID-19 situation. I said, Lord, I'll keep us awakening, right? We are aware of the situation, but we don't want to be, I, I, for one, I don't want to be apathetic. If there's something that you would like me or us to do, can you show it to us? If you say no, fine, cool. Okay, I will pick my battles and I'll just go on doing what I need to do. 
And the Lord laid upon my heart, He says, look, you're trying to connect archipuses across the nation, right? You're trying to bring everyone, all the archipuses in different places. Why don't you gather them for prayer? I said, gather, bad time together, no one will come. Thank you for being here, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and He said, no, you just, just do an online thing. I said, oh, online thing? Okay, great. So I started to think, we need a camera, we need this, we need that, we need this, I need this. We will talk to our social media people. I don't know who they are at this point in time. Uh, who can do it and who is the technical person? Da, 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 da. And the Lord just silently, gently, quietly just said, why don't you do it? And I said, who, me? <laughs> and the Lord said, yeah, you. I said, no, 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 what, what, what? no, no, I can preach, I can teach, you know, I, I, I can do Kingdom 101, but this Facebook live thing, cannot. you know, and it advertising guy, right, I don't have a proper backdrop, uh, I got no makeup on, <laughs> I, I got no proper lighting, you know, my room cannot lie, you know, I, I got a bunch of excuses, my faith level was so low. And then the Lord said, what's your title for next week's Kingdom 101? <laughs> Who, me? Yes, you. Wow, this one I cannot run already. When I went on live last week, my heart was pounding like crazy. You won't understand this until you have to do it. You understand? It's like God telling me, you need to learn this lesson, otherwise you have no right teaching this lesson. And so we did it. I went on, on the 13th of February, and then we went on the 14th again. And I don't know how many more times, I don't care now, okay? If the Lord drops something, I'll do it. If I look silly, I look silly, right? There's a phrase that we can be fools for Jesus. But I've been encouraged that People have been encouraged, and they have texted in, they have written in, they said thank you for praying, thank you for joining. And after that, we see other prayer efforts go on, and maybe it's time for me just to stop, and that's great, because something else is going on. You see, God is not asking you to do the, the big, humongous thing. It's just whatever you can do, is your faith aligned, or is your faith only compartmentalized in one area? What if God stretches you? What if God asks you to do something that is uncomfortable? Now, we teach people in Archippus Awakening, we tell them, please don't buy into this thing where people tell you, you must enjoy the assignments God gives to you. If you don't enjoy it, it cannot be from God. I mean, it doesn't sound correct for me, right? No, don't get me wrong. Huh? The one thing I enjoy is serving Jesus. What He asked me to do, I may not want to do. But serving Him is the greatest joy of all. You see, that's what you have to understand. Of course, He allows us time where we're just flowing with the, with the right thing. But... There are times where he stretches us because he wants our faith to be holistic. So check your faith alignment. And if you hear the Lord asking you tonight, or you asking who me, and he's saying, yes, you, maybe you need to move on something. The fifth point is this. Bring what you have to Jesus. Bring what you have to Jesus. So Matthew 14, verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. So Jesus, you know, master teacher, never misses a teaching opportunity. Teaching moment, right? If he knows when to, to hit that point home, he will do it. He already knew what he was going to do. You read in John chapter 6, he was already testing Philip. So how? No food, huh? How? What are you going to do? Right? Teachers love to do this, right? But they know the answer. 
And even if you had the money, Philip said, even 200 denarii are also not enough, you know. In other words, if I can even get a sponsor, also not enough. In the same way Jesus tested his disciples, I believe Jesus is still in the business of testing us, correct? Because he wants to show up what is not correct, what is misaligned, and he wants to put us back onto the right track. And the Lord is, is really great at asking questions, as I shared with you just now. How many loaves you have? Go and see. That's in Mark. Go and see. Go and, go and check it out. Go and check your resources. Five loaves, two fish. So you notice something. Jesus starts with what we have. He never starts with what we don't have. Go and see what you have. Moses had a rod in his hand. God asked him, what do you have in your hand? It's a rod. God used that rod. Elijah asked the widow, what do you have? Elisha asked the widow, I only have that little amount of oil. Say, okay, that's cool. Give it to me. So look at what you have and then bring that to Jesus. But our problem is this. We can identify what we have, but many times after we see what we have, we get stuck. Because we'll look at what we have and then think of what we don't have. We'll look at what we have and then say, I, I actually not enough. I'll look at the talent that I have and I say, I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good enough. I'm a nobody. I'm an keepers. Welcome to the club. We will look at all these things and that's our problem. We get stuck. We see the problem then bigger than what we have. We see the greatness of that need. Just like this prayer effort that the Lord challenged me to do. I'm... I'm, a, I'm not known as like a prayer warrior or an intercessor. I mean, there's so many of you down here that are so qualified. God called them. But for me, I, I'm not known as that. I don't know how to do it. And God says, enough. You know, you know how to press Facebook Live? Just press the button and then you go. <laughs> you bring what you have to the Lord. And many times we see the so little in us that we miss the so much in Christ. You hear this? We see the so little in us that we miss the so much in Christ. But the Lord says, okay, fine, you've got this, bring them here to me. You have to learn how to bring that little to the Lord. Oh Lord, I only have little compassion for this person. I want to kill this guy. <laughs> bring the little compassion to the Lord because when you bring it to Him, He makes it much. Bring that little effort that you want to the Lord so that when you bring that little effort, He multiplies that, He makes it much. Bring that little know-how, bring that little experience, bring the little thought that you have, bring it to Him because He will enlarge it for you. If you hold it by yourself, that's all it's going to remain. Don't just look at the little in yourself or in what you have and miss the so much in God. Because if you would bring it to Him and hand it over to Him, what happens after that? He's responsible for it. It's not even you. Point number six, let me move on. And this is the fun part. Allow God to work through you. Allow God to work through you. Matthew 14, verse 19. Jesus holds this five loaves and two fish. He commanded everyone to sit down and he looks up to heaven and he says grace. He gives thanks. And after that, he gives these loaves to the disciples. Now, we, we're only told that he gave thanks and that he broke the bread. Now, the scripture is not clear. Did he break and 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 who, 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 look at this, look at this. <laughs> possible, right? But the other way is also possible, isn't it? Five loaves, 12 guys. So he breaks and gives one each to the 12 guys. 
Then he says, now this is your sector, this is your sector, that's your area of operation. Now you take this piece of bread and then you go. Yeah. We got enough. Jesus, you're kidding. Eh? They're going to kill me when I bring this piece down there. Think toilet paper again. So either way, I, I, I don't care, okay? Even if, first way, second way, imagine if you were there as a disciple and you see the bread multiply in Jesus' hand or you hold the bread and it multiplies in your hand. Either way, you know you didn't do it. <laughs> Amen? See, many times we think that we are the ones that have to do it. But actually, it is God who does everything. I'm learning this over and over again. Eh? So here we are saying, you need to move on kingdom assignment, right? That means you must do the assignment that God gives you. Huh? I do. Eh? Yes. But when you do it, actually, God is the one who does it through you. So you mean I don't do? Eh? No, you do. But you say God do. Yes, God does. But I need to do. Yes, you. So who does? Both. Are you getting this? But we're only looking at ourselves and we say, oh, you mean I need to do it. I need, I'm the one who has to do it. God sent Moses to Pharaoh, right? You go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses is like going, but I'm not this, I'm not that. Then God says, I, I, I tell you what, I tell you what. Okay? You just go. I will do this. 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 I will set them free. Can? And then Moses goes, uh, oh, but I can't speak, la, but I can't. He still doesn't get it. Are we the same? Right? You can go back to God and He says, I'll do everything, can? Then you still come up with excuses because you, you think you need to do. But when you do what you are told to do, God will do only what He can do. See, the thing is, will you allow God to work through you? Often we are looking for outcomes, but God is looking for obedience. We are looking and concerned about the result. God is looking for our response. And we've got to get this. At the end of the day, disciples couldn't say, hey, today I broke bread and it multiplied. You know, I did it. No. no, no, no. You didn't do anything. right? You just took the bread, break one piece, and God is the one that multiplied everything. All glory belongs to God. But we get the thrill of partnering Him. And this is really fun, <laughs> I'm telling you. Okay, and, and this go viral with prayer thing. Each time before I click that live button, my heart is pumping. But when I'm there and I'm just hearing what the Spirit is saying and I'm just releasing it, and after seeing how God is touching, I don't even know who He's impacting. And I don't have to worry about that. My concern is only to get before that camera and not worry how ugly I look. And let Jesus receive all the glory. Amen to that? Okay, last one, last one. Seventh point. I hope you're staying with me, friends. Okay, the last one is important. Given to you for others. See, Matthew 14, 19, Jesus blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Jesus placed the loaf and the fish in the hands of the disciples. Now, don't forget, huh? they were probably tired and hungry by then. Imagine if you're a tired person, huh? I put food in your hands. The disciples will go, 
you mean I don't get to eat this? <laughs> they would have wanted it for themselves first. And yet the Lord is saying, no, no, you, you don't get this. Give it to the other people. And do you realize this is a kingdom principle? That there are many times God gives things to us, but it is for someone else. We must learn this principle so that we will not, I need to use that word again, we should not hoard. There's an anointing on that story. Right? We shouldn't hoard. What God gives to us is actually for someone else. And your kingdom assignments are like that. Some of you may be blessed with more things, materially, spiritually, gifts, talents, know-hows, platforms. But it's given to you. But you have to ask, Lord, who is this for? Maybe it's for someone else. And if you are willing to be faithful in doing that, God actually multiplies in and through you and you reach so many more different people. See, this points to the messianic banquet that you understand, right? It's not scarcity. We cannot have a scarcity mentality. The messianic abundance, we see glimpses of that now, but it will be fulfilled later on. But right now, the kingdom is already here, but not yet, which means we get to partake and participate in some of these things. Will there be equal distribution? No. And that's why as kingdom people, if we understand this, then Paul says that some of you will have less, some of you will have more, but if we learn how to share with each other, no one will be in lack. See, this is messianic principle. So it's given to you, but it's not for you at this point. You can pass it on to someone else. So if we learn this well, I think it will be a different dimension. And I know some of you will still be asking, what about me? But what, what, what about me? I cannot just keep giving one. No, well, I keep giving. What, what, what about me? You got to read the scriptures again. All right? Don't miss this one. The disciples just gave. Maybe like, oh, yeah, man, yeah. I know I'm a miracle, I'm a miracle, but I'm very hungry also, you know. <laughs> and they're just giving. After that, they say, okay, gather everything. Each one of them didn't have a few pieces. Each one of them had one basket. <laughs> Friends, as you give, there's an abundance of the kingdom waiting for you. You have to learn how to see that, you see. And after that, they, they will say, oh, you mean like that, uh, Abba then? <laughs> see, kingdom assignments are given to you, but it's for the benefit of someone else. And at the end, it's always for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. So we know Jesus is the Messiah. But how about us? Disciples? Kingdom subjects. And I hope that these seven points would help you, right? They are just principles. Number one, pick your battles, which means know your assignment. What does God want you to do? You cannot do everything and anything. Number two, remember to rest. Because moving on assignment can be tiring, so learn how to rest. Number three, reveal the love and the compassion of the king. Friends, be aware, but please don't remain apathetic. Be moved with the heart of the king. Next, check your faith alignment. Because all things are possible with God. He's able in every aspect, in every department. Full stop, period. Number five, bring what you have to Jesus. Start always with what you have. Don't look at what you don't have. And even that little that you have, give it over to Him. Because the little that we have, He can make it a lot more. Number six, allow God to work through you. 
What he tells you to do, you just do it. Because when you do it, he does even more. And you know it's not dependent on you, although he's waiting for you to move that first step. But he's going to bring things to pass in ways you can't even understand. And finally, given to you for others. Always remember, it's given to you, but it's for someone else. This is a beautiful, beautiful kingdom principle. So friends, I hope you receive this. And if you're still asking, who me? Can I say this to you? Yes, you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for scriptures, Lord. So much is in it, Lord, but I pray that we will not miss Jesus in this entire story. Because apart from Him, we are nothing. But as we declare Him as Messiah, may we stand into that position and promise as people of the kingdom and your disciples. And help us to understand how we are to move. And I know many times, Lord, we struggle by asking, is it really me? Is it us? And I know you're gently challenging us. Yes, you. So now I know your eyes are closed. I'm going to ask this question. How many of you really identify with that? Yes, you. Maybe the Lord is saying something to you right now. Now don't look around. And if that's you, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Lord, that's me. Will you help me? I want to bring my little thing over to you, Lord. I want to trust you. I want to allow you to work in and through me. What you have given to me, I want to be faithful to give it to other people. Lord, you see the hands that are raised, Lord. These are the, these are the you, 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 you. And God is saying, yes, you, you. I've raised you for this reason, for this season, for this time, for this purpose. Don't look at who you are by yourself, but understand who you are in Christ. And understand your assignment, because as you move on what I've asked you to do, be assured that you are just jars of clay, earthen vessels, but you carry a treasure within you, so that at the end of the day, Jesus gets all the glory. And so we thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for encouraging us. Lord, bless all of us, and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.